Hi friends, today we are talking about starting at the beginning of the learning sequence with second and third grade musicians. My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 74 of Elemental Conversations. So if we were to think about starting at a new campus, or maybe we're not at a new campus, maybe we're just starting a new pedagogical approach, like maybe we haven't been necessarily using a sequence, like we've been kind of just pulling from Facebook or Pinterest, which is totally fine, but maybe we are ready to start kind of building skills and understandings in a more streamlined way. Or maybe we started with that intention, but now we are, you know, a few weeks into the school year and maybe things are starting to feel a little bit squirrely and we're thinking about, you know, what does it look like to get back on track? What does on track even mean? So whatever the case is, today we are thinking through what it can look like to start at the beginning of the music sequence, not with young students with first and second and not sorry with not with kinder and first and not with our older students fourth and fifth but with that kind of middle elementary track so these students are not our littles right kinder and first if we want to think about where the beginning of the music sequence is and how to approach that with these really young students they kind of just start at the beginning right and they just go on as normal and then for older beginners that's kind of a different story as well if we're going to think about older beginners as uh, like fourth and fifth grade I would not say that we have a particularly robust set of curriculum options for those grades, but I do feel like we have some resources to use. So for example, the planning binder has a specific track that is just for older beginners. There's also, if you know the book, The American Methodology and American Methodology, um, there's a section in there. There's a whole book that they have about older beginners. I know there's a whole section in the Kodai Today book series about this. So older beginners, That material isn't necessarily expansive, but it does exist. Okay, so what about these students who are between our little littles and they're not quite our older beginners? Where do we put like second and third grade? Because it kind of feels or it can kind of feel like we are missing them with either direction we take. They don't really fit into either um, kind of curriculum uh, trajectory, if you know what I mean. So this is a conversation that I've been having with a few colleagues, but I recently got an email that I think kind of of summarizes this topic well. And this person said, this is my first year at a school that last had music right before COVID. So that means that these littles, kindergarten through second, they have never had music. And this person's in the planning binder, and she pointed out that in the scope and sequence for the planning binder, you have first grade and second grade starting the year by reviewing known concepts from last year, and then moving on to add new concepts. And then they continued, what would you suggest for those littles who have never had music? Would you do something similar to kinder, but a little more complex? And my short answer is, yes, that is the direction I would take. And that's the direction that I am currently taking for second and third. So I'm going to lump those two grades together for this conversation, even though they're not lumped together in this email. So just knowing that um, going forward. And the direction that I'm choosing with these grade levels, that is because of the way I am answering three different questions about this topic. Number one, what is the point of a sequence? Number two, what makes something a second grade song? What makes something a third grade song? When we pick up a song, how do we know if it will work for second or third grade? And then the third question is, uh, what are second and third graders like? So those are our questions that we get to kind of think about together. But before we jump into those details, I want to skip ahead with you to the very end of the episode. And then we're going to back up and talk about these questions. Because if you are just interested in the end point of all of it, like you're pulling up to school and you just want, you know, a song to do right now <laughs> before you walk in, um, then here you go. This is the the final section. Um, we're going to take a few weeks to sing songs and play games. That is all of the pre-assessment stuff that we have talked about before in previous episodes. And then when we're ready to jump into a melodic sequence, we have mi, re, do. So mi, re, do. Then we're going to jump up and add sol and la. And then we'll jump down to add lo, la, and lo, so. And we can talk more about that later. Mi, re, do songs. You can 
Google all of these, um, or you can stick around to the end of the podcast and we'll talk about all of them um, in a little bit more detail. I have Doña Araña, I have Big Fat Biscuit, and I have Frog in the Meadow as our kind of starter pack for Mi Rey Do songs. So that's our melodic track. Rhythmically, after we're done singing songs and playing games, we can start with a steady beat and then add ta, toddy, and ta rest. And then from there, you can add or you can choose if you want to do half notes next or takadimi next. It's kind of up to you. Thinking through some of the songs that we can use for that rhythmic track, steady beat can be basically any song. <laughs> um, this is very open-ended with this age group. If you want a very quick list, you might think about Pajarito Tan Bonito, and you might think about Plainsies Clapsies. And then from there, we can move on to Ta, Toddy, and Ta, Rest. Those steady beat songs, those particular ones, they can absolutely kind of uh, transition into ta, toddy, and ta, rest. And we can also add some new songs like Cut the Cake. I have A Perez y Nones and I have Ickle Ockle. So that's the end idea. We're going to sing songs and play games and have a good time, do some pre-assessments, stuff like that. And then we'll start a rhythmic and a melodic sequence from the beginning, what we're considering to be the beginning. So now let's jump into this topic um, just a little bit more because there are some nuances here that I don't want to pass over. And at the risk of being a broken record, I want to say one more time that we can all arrive at different conclusions here. And in fact, it would be inappropriate for all of us to have the exact same sequence that we follow at the exact same pace for second and third graders who haven't had music class before. So let's think through how we might arrive at some of these decisions to help us kind of piece together a direction for our second and third grade beginners. Going back to those questions, we're going to ask, what is the point of a sequence? What's the goal? We're going to ask what makes something a second grade song or a third grade song. And then we're going to think about where are second and third graders developmentally. Now, this isn't really a question, but it's worth thinking about. And I think it will impact all of our classrooms, maybe in different ways. So I still think it's worth us um, kind of chewing on as well. And then we'll combine all of that into a really quick roadmap. We'll kind of expand what we already talked about um, for the first few few months of the year, maybe the first two or three months in second and third grade. So this will get us um, a really nice start. And by the way, just in case, you know, we are several weeks into the school year by now, it's likely that that's the case for you. If you are teaching in North America or something, you know, in this, in this hemisphere, it is not too late. If things get kind of squirrely in your sequence, it is not too late to back up and start at the beginning and just treat it as a fresh slate, a clean slate, and just treat this as the beginning of the year. And it kind of makes sense this way anyway, right? Right now, our weather is just now, we are just now hitting the first weekend of fall. So this is a new season. If you are ready to kind of shake off the dust from whatever the first part of your year was like and jump back into, um, you know, a really intentional and play-based and creative and purposeful melodic and rhythmic sequence, I think this is a great time to do it. So I just share that to say that it's not too late to jump into this, even though we've already started our school year. All right, enough of that. What's the point of our sequence? Why not just pick up a curriculum textbook or open up the planning binder or whatever curriculum you're using? Why not just open it up to the third grade lessons and point to lesson number one and just start there? This is something that I needed encouragement on when I got my first music program, like my first um, school music program. Because I didn't want to feel behind schedule. I felt like if if I started from the beginning of the sequence, that I was pulling everyone back, that I would be the reason that we were behind. And I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to jump in and get going. And I also didn't really want to use, like this person was kind of talking about in the email, I also didn't want them to have to like sit through all these baby songs that they're like way too old for. And I just, I wasn't, I wasn't into it. Here's the problem with what I was trying to do. The whole point of a sequence is that knowledge builds over time and we relate new information to information we have already built. 
And this is true for our pedagogy sequence of moving from the known to the unknown. Pedagogy sequence as in like a concept plan or like a unit plan for how we would teach something like Mireido. But it's also true if we expand out from that one concept, Mireido, and we look at our broader macro sequence. So how, um, how do concepts build and connect with each other over time throughout all of the grades we teach? That's what I mean when I say backing up to look at a macro sequence. So when we zoom out and we look at how our sequence builds from kindergarten through fifth grade, the structure of what we're doing, that trajectory is from the simple to the complex. And I have an example of this. If you want to see what I'm talking about, you can Google, because I know sometimes it's hard to, to visualize it. Um, you can Google Victoria Bowler curriculum map, and you'll find a blog post about it. And I'll add that as a link in the show notes as well. Or if you are inside the planning binder, you just go click on that curriculum outline section and you can use that map right there. So there's an understanding in this sequence that before students get to their third year in the music program, they have a specific set of knowledge and skills and experiences under their belts. And that's important that they have all of that um, kind of that they have access to, if you want to think about this as their musical backpacks to kind of mix metaphors, <laughs> um, because guess what's going to happen in their next year of music class, in their fourth year of music class? That's right. We're going to build off the third year and add to it. And then in the fifth year, we'll keep going. In the sixth year, the idea is that we're using all of the information that we have combined thus far. So you can see the problem with wanting to skip straight to that fourth year in the third grade. You know, if you think about kindergarten being the first year that they have music, if we want to skip straight to that fourth year without doing any of the previous knowledge building, we're really setting ourselves and our students up for not as intentional of a musical experience as we could have. So if we were to think about this, like building a house, I wanted to jump straight to uh, like hanging picture frames because that's what I thought everyone was doing. I thought everyone was painting the walls and hanging picture frames and putting up their curtains. And that's what I thought I should be doing by this point in the construction. But because I didn't want to take the time to back up, if we continue this house metaphor, the construction hadn't even really started on the house at all because I hadn't built any foundation. It's worth it to take the time to build um, students' aural skills and to develop their collaborative skills and to develop their pitch perception and their rhythmic awareness and to develop, you know, their social skills that we use in an interconnected ensemble. All of that, whatever age or whatever stage or whatever grade we get them, it's absolutely worth it to take the time to build those concepts because whatever we spend our time doing this first year, you know, in this first year or two, that becomes our foundation for all the new things that are going to relate back to these experiences. And we want that foundation to be solid. Another way to think about this is that we are never behind schedule if we are following students and we are tracking with them for what they need right now. And I talked about this idea of feeling behind schedule. I don't know if that resonates with you, but I talked about it in an episode called my teaching schedule is way, way off. <laughs> and I think we can apply that here as well, because it's the same concept. This is a good time for me to just very quickly talk about my discomfort with the term older beginners. And I'll give my regular caveat about <laughs> this word. Um, these students have had music experiences before us. They've been singing in the car. They've been doing Fortnite dances. They've been doing, you know, collaborative rhythmic games on the playground. They're not starting from scratch. And for that reason, they're not really beginners. Do you know what I mean? We, we as an ensemble, we are beginning our journey together as a class because students have had their own experiences kind of individually, or maybe like in small groups outside class on their own. And now our job as the music teachers kind of corralling everyone together um, and to start building these musical experiences with students as a collective group of musicians. That's the thing we're actually starting from scratch. It's the collective music making. And so in that sense, we might consider ourselves like the, the teacher, we are also new to this group. And in that sense, we might consider ourselves to be beginners in this process as well. So with that caveat out of the way, let's talk about this second question. What makes something a second grade or a third grade song? 
And if we were to just sit with that, what makes something a second grade song? What might come to mind? Because the repertoire we're going to use, this is what is going to create that active musical experience. This is what everything else is going to be um, kind of referenced back to. So we really want to be thoughtful in this. These are just songs and games. When kids were playing these games on the playground or when these songs were being developed, you know, kind of naturally, uh, no one was thinking about what makes it appropriate to use in a second grade music classroom. Do you know what I mean? They were just singing, let us chase the squirrel or whatever it is. And then we, on this side, we are using our pedagogical and our curricular lens to look at these songs and see where they might fall in our teaching to see what we are going to pull from them. And then our shorthand, because that's a a very lengthy way of describing what we're looking for. Our shorthand for all of that is just to say a second grade song or a third grade song. So we all know these songs are just songs. And then the concepts that we pull for them are up to us. Now, very quickly, this comes down to things that we call extractable phrases. And that might be something that you are already super familiar with. So just hang tight. An extractable phrase is like a unit of music, like a subphrase that has the target rhythmic or melodic element in it, but not just in it. It's in there very prominently. So some examples that we've already talked about from earlier, one of them is frog in the meadow. Frog in the meadow, can't get him out. Take a little stick and stir him about. If we want to break this down into phrases or subphrases, we would have frog in the meadow and can't get him out and take a little stick and stir him about. That last one is one longer phrase, isn't it? So all three of those are extractable phrases because all three of these are mi re do. That's our target melodic concept. And that's the only thing here. That's the only thing we're listening for. And so we're done. Being able to pull these extractable phrases in repertoire, that opens up so many doors for us when we're thinking about how to teach creatively, because this lets us pull a song and just scan it and then know right away how we might use it in our teaching, or at least have a good idea of how it could live in our teaching. How do we know what songs we can use to teach mi re do? Well, we're going to find songs with extractable phrases of mi re do. If we wanted to think about songs with extractable phrases of mi, re, do that have more than just that set, just that tone set of mi, re, do, we might look at something like Rocky Mountain. So Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain high. When you're on that Rocky Mountain, hang your head and cry. Do, 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 do remember me. Do, 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 do remember me, do remember me, mi, mi, re, re, do, hang your head and cry, mi, mi, re, re, do. And we can add in, do remember me, mi, mi, re, do, re, right? So you have these units with the target melodic phrase, with the target melodic pattern that exists in that phrase, and it's very prominent. So that's what we mean when we say a, uh, an extractable phrase. And the reason this is important is that now, now that we have this extractable phrase and we can hear the pattern, we can recognize it orally. Now students are set up to identify it in a lot of other musics, um, including other songs that we're using in the classroom, but also songs that they listen to outside of our classroom walls. And then we add new pitches to that existing tone set that we're working on. Let's imagine that we're talking about mi, re, do. We're going to jump up, and we already said this, that we're going to start to add so and la to our pattern of mi, re, do, and all of those variants, do, re, do, do, mi, re, do, mi, do, et cetera, et cetera. When we encounter these new pitches with new melodic vocabulary, students are going to relate that new information. In this case, so and la, they're going to relate that to the known information of mi, re, do. So they have something to compare it to. They know that it's higher than something. Does that make sense? So a second grade song is going to have extractable phrases with concepts that we are working on in second grade. 
I mentioned that our sequence moves from the simple to the complex, and that's one of the frameworks of a scope and sequence that we can use. And, I, and that's the one we're using here. I think that that's a good use of this scope and sequence um, possibility of this option for a scope and sequence is the simple to complex. But we don't just organize our curriculum by subject. We also organize it by the people who are doing the subject. In this case, that is second and third grade. So as we're organizing our activities, how can we make sure that they are aligned with the actual humans who will be doing the activities? One way is to do an activity and just pay attention to how students respond. That's a great option. Another option is that we can ask students what they like, what they're interested in. Another great option. But we can also zoom in front of these activities. We can kind of um, go around both of those options and think about what second and third grade students are like before we even pick out a song and introduce it or, you know, the song or the game and the activity before we even introduce it in the first place. And that happens by answering this question, what are second and third graders like? There's a book series from Responsive Classroom called What Every Teacher Needs to Know. And they have different books in this series, um, whatever, what every kindergarten teacher needs to know, whatever for every fourth grade teacher needs to know, things like that. And in this book, they have this really beautiful chart of just a very quick snapshot of each grade level, what they're like from a social emotional standpoint, what they're like cognitively, what they're like physically, what they're like uh, in terms of language development, things like that. And something that I really appreciate about this resource, because responsive classroom materials are so thoughtful just across the board, they really do a good job of framing this table as exactly what it is, which is just a very general guide. Because children are complex, humans are complex, and every single human, every single student musician is unique. There's no such thing as a typical second grader. There's no such thing as a second grader who is like on track. And they approach the table with this caveat, and I like that a lot. I love a good, <laughs> I love a good caveat. Okay, so in that, with this understanding that this is just a snapshot, it's not a guide that every second grader or every third grader is, is supposed to fall in line with exactly. Okay, here are a few things that stick out to me when I look at this table about what second graders are like and what third graders are like. Number one, second and third graders love to socialize. Collaborative and small group activities are very rewarding for these grades. Collaboration, even though that's true, collaboration is a learned skill. And so they don't just magically know how to collaborate. I don't want to make it seem like that. But when we have the skills for this to go smoothly, second and third graders really, really, really love working in small groups, small groups here, meaning like three to four people. And we can compare that to kindergartners who we don't really expect to do a lot of small group collaborative work. These students very often are still in the I, 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 I stage and they have a hard time looking at a, um, an activity or a problem or something like that from someone else's point of view. That's what we're moving toward, but we're not always necessarily there in kindergarten. So in music class, how does that change our approach to the activities that we choose? or maybe the, um, the songs and the games that we choose. In music class, in my opinion, this looks like having a lot of collaborative activities like arranging rhythmic building blocks or arranging a rhythm for body percussion in a small group or coming up with movement sequences or talking about a question on the board. These activities, um, like the ones we just talked about, these activities can be kind of open-ended or they might be closed answer. Like an example of a, a closed answer thing would be figuring out what song is on the board from a list of possible known melodies. That activity there, figuring out a song on the board from a list of possibilities, like the mystery of it all, that moves us into cognitive expectations as well, which we'll talk about. 
Physically, though, let's talk about that first. It probably goes without saying that second and third graders are more coordinated than kindergartners, but they're also not ready for the developmental things um, physically that we would ask of a fifth grader. And this is going to influence several different things in our classrooms, but specifically, it's going to change our instrumental and our movement expectations. So for example, um, fifth grade students are going to have a much easier time with recorder than second grade students. Another place that this is going to show up, I tend to use a lot of body percussion with older beginners and those body percussion sequences are going to need to be simplified a little bit if we're going to adapt them for second and third grade, or at least at the very least, we're going to expect them to take a little bit longer in second and third grade. Same thing with movement sequences, like if we're doing a play party or something that is um, a dance in, you know, a, a double circle or, or something like that. The movement piece, the physical piece just takes a little bit more startup time in second and third grade as compared to fourth and fifth. With all of that said, second and third graders are very movement oriented. They're very fast moving people. They're very physically active. So we still are going to use physical activities, activities where they are using their body to create a, a musical response, such as instruments or body percussion or a movement sequence or a dance or something like that. We are still going to use a lot of physical motion, but we want to make sure that we are using the appropriate type of movement, that it's not too complex and that we are pacing it out slowly enough that they can be successful and not get frustrated. Okay. I mentioned the, um, the cognitive aspect of this cognitively, these students don't have very long attention spans. That said, once second and third graders are really in the groove of a task, they are in it. They are in it to win it. They're like completely engrossed. <laughs> um, this age group, they love working hard and they love a challenge and they love the process of learning, especially anything um, involving a mystery or figuring out a problem where they get to use logic. That's very rewarding for them. So if we were to compare that to kindergarten students, what we would ask of kindergartners, we can really, really, really up the cognitive load for second and third graders with music class that in my opinion, that looks a lot like doing form and analysis stuff in kind of a, a heavy way in the teaching process. So figuring out the phrase form, figuring out which parts of the song match, things like that. This is also a very rewarding time for students to start figuring things out by ear. So if you're teaching a song and that song happens to lend itself to form as a way to teach the song, I, I think it's very rewarding for those students to get that opportunity. That's something that they really, really, really enjoy doing is figuring out the form of the song and kind of being musical detectives. And along those same lines, if you have a song that students can play by ear, like something that uses mi, re, do, like what we'll talk about, um, something that uses mi, re, do that you can analyze and kind of think through together and then say, Ooh, I bet you could figure this out just with your ears. And then they go to Bard Instruments and figure it out on their own. So thinking through all of that, where are second and third graders kind of positioned? Where are they oriented in terms of their social and emotional skill set, their physical development, and their cognitive development? Thinking about all of this can really help us decide what a second grade song is like or what a third grade song could be. We would consider it a second grade song if it makes sense for second grade musicians from both a musical sense and a pedagogical sense and a child preference sense and a developmental sense. So let's take all of that information and let's combine it into a possible roadmap for the first several months of second and third grade music if we are treating these students as quote unquote beginners at the very beginning of the learning sequence. 
If we go back to that email that we talked about at the beginning of this episode, that colleague was exploring the idea that a second grade music curriculum can be basically like a kindergarten curriculum, just a little bit more uh, complex. We might say a little bit more fast paced, a little bit more multifaceted. And essentially, yes, I completely agree with that plan, given the caveats that we've already talked about. So the sequence is going to stay roughly the same in terms of, you know, moving from a steady beat to ta and toddy and ta rest, and then uh, moving on from there to takadimi half notes, etc, etc. However, that said, a lot of the songs are probably going to be different. And then certainly the way we approach those songs will be different based on all of the things that we've already discussed, thinking through the musical sequence, thinking through second and third grade characteristics um, from a child development perspective. So let's think about these first several months. We can start out with a few weeks where we're just going to sing songs and play games. That is step one. And in my opinion, that is the most critical step of everything else that we are going to talk about in terms of what musical content we want to explore at what points in the sequence. And as we are singing these songs or playing these games, we are working on several different things, several different curricular and um, social interaction goals are kind of converging in these several weeks where it looks like we are just singing songs and playing games. However, we know with our teacher hats on that there's a lot more going on under the surface. This is where we are doing our pre-assessments. And I have a podcast episode on that, which I will link to in the show notes, but that is episode 68. This is where, as we are doing these songs and playing these games, we are getting so much musical information that is going to directly impact the next set of curricular decisions that we make. So let's imagine that we do our pre-assessments and we see that it would be um, really beneficial to actually start at the absolute beginning. We have assessed that truly backing up to the very beginning of the sequence is going to be the best approach. What do those first weeks include as we're singing these songs, playing these games? Number one, singing voice, for sure. Definitely want students to have access to their singing voice in this context, in this uh, musical classroom context. And while we are there, we can be sprinkling in some four voices. And that's pretty natural uh, to me. This is just my personal opinion. I don't think that that needs to be its own formal concept plan for second and third grade beginners. And what I mean by that, by making it kind of pretty natural, is something like, have this conversation in your whisper voice, or what is the difference between a rhyme and a song, things like that, or doing vocal exploration activities, you get the idea. Here, we can also be throwing in some comparative concepts. So what is the difference between loud and quiet and fast and slow and long and short? And again, I personally don't feel like these need their own specific concept plan or their own, you know, specific backward designed (laughs) unit. Um, It's more just kind of a natural part of our musical vocabulary and the way that we music in this class. And then, of course, in all of this, the skill that is going to take us the furthest in our curricula is the skill of being in an ensemble, the practice of belonging in an ensemble and experiencing that our voices matter and that the things that we do as individuals have an impact on the interdependent ensemble, on this collective group of musicians. It's our experience that we have other musicians here that we can rely on, and we need to be our own reliable person in this group. And just as an aside, I think there will be a future podcast episode on this topic, uh, just because, again, I think that it is such, um, such an important skill to be interwoven in the actual musical skills that we are working on as well. Okay, so that's the first several weeks. We might decide maybe, you know, three-ish, four-ish weeks that we are doing this singing songs, playing games, getting to know students, working on these collaborative skills. And as a quick aside, I do not view this as wasting time. This is absolutely foundational to all of the other work that we are going to do later. So really 
investing in these first several weeks and getting our core um, procedures down in terms of what is our procedure for a singing game? What does it look like to come into the classroom? What does it look like to ask for help? All of this stuff. From there, we can move on to mi, re, do for melody and to steady beat for our rhythmic track. Melodically, if we're going to use an existing sequence of concepts, like not create our own sequence from scratch, but use something else that maybe we find in a textbook or maybe we find online somewhere, the big question that we're often going to run into, at least in uh, Western classrooms, like an American classroom, is if we are going to use mi, re, do, or so, me as the starting melodic tone set. And I'll say right now, I see advantages to both. I choose mi, re, do because that's my preference, but I've also started second grade with so me, and that is like a potato, potato situation. So let's zoom through to mi, re, do songs and activities while we are here. I mentioned them at the top of the episode, but let's talk about Doña Araña. This is Doña Araña se fue a pasear, hizo un hilo y se puso a trepar. Vino el viento, la hizo bailar. Vino la tormenta, la hizo bajar. So you'll recognize the main uh, plot of the Itsy Bitsy Spider, where Doña Araña, Miss Spider, is going to go for a stroll. She spins her web and she climbs up and then she dances at the top when the wind comes and then she goes back down when the rain comes and washes her back down. This is my personal favorite for kind of all grades K-5. Um, it's sourced from Vamos a Cantar. And in second and third grade, I am singing the song while, this is how I introduce it. I am singing the song while students copy me spinning my spider web. So I have two hands out in front of me and I'm just kind of moving them around as if I am a spider spinning my web in front of me. And that spider web, as you can imagine, with your curricular focus hat on, um, that spider web is going to follow the melodic contour of the song. And students don't need to be singing this with me. They're just listening as we move up and down. Next, students are going to be spinning their own webs up and down to that melodic contour, but now they don't have to be seated facing me in our circle. Now I want them to move around in open space. So we're all spinning our spider webs up at the same time and spinning them down at the same time. And we are moving around with plenty of air between us and the other humans in the room and plenty of air between us and the other objects in the room. Open space is another huge thing that we go over in the first weeks of the year. I didn't mention that earlier, but it definitely comes into play when we are doing things like any um, any shared space movement activity. And there's a podcast episode about that as well that I can add to the show notes if you're interested. Next, as a B section, how could you make a spider web with your body? How could you turn your body into a spider web? You will want to have at least one connection point. If you think about how um, interwoven a spider web is with all of those different threads, maybe you could put your arms out in front of you and connect your fingers, like making a circle out in front of you. Maybe you could curl over the side so that your hand is touching your shoe while the other hand, maybe it goes like through that circle that you just made from your fingertips to your shoe, or maybe you um, make another kind of circle with your other hand by putting it on your ear, or maybe you curl, uh, maybe you sit down and you put your feet together and then you fold over your feet. Lots of options here. We, and we can go through several examples and non-examples of appropriate spider web shapes. And then eventually I'm going to ask students to do something that is a high spider web and a middle spider web and a low spider web. So choose your favorite high, middle, low spider web shapes. The deal with these spider web shapes is that they need to be still and silent. Again, think about a spider web, still and silent. And then I have a set of finger symbols that I use to signal when it's time to change shapes. And this is not, you know, the full uh, trajectory of this song, but the next step can be to find a partner and find a way to safely and silently and um, frozenly <laughs> uh, find a way to connect your spider web. So you're making a high spider web together and then a middle spider web and a low spider web with a, a partner or a small group by finding some point of connection.
And again, if we are all putting on our curricular focus hats together, we can notice the high, middle, low connecting to Mireto later on in, in the flow of this activity. Okay, so that is just one song. That is Doña Aranya. Next, let's look at Frog in the Meadow. The version that I am singing is Frog in the Meadow, can't get him out. Take a little stick and stir him about. There are lots of different ways to play this game, but the one that I play is a hidden object game, but that hidden object is a student. So one student is the frog and one student is the frog catcher. The frog catcher is going to cover their eyes in the middle of the circle. And then everyone sings the song while they walk in a circle around the frog catcher while the frog hides somewhere in the room. And then it's a hot cold game where we sing quietly while the frog catcher is away from the frog. And we use our bigger singing voices when the frog catcher is close. This can be a hidden object game with a toy frog as well, or for that matter, any small object. And that is so fun. Um, depending on your classroom setup, that might be the approach to take here. But if you have an actual uh, human student as the hidden frog, that definitely adds a level of excitement to this game that I think is uh, really impactful. So Frog in the Meadow has an actual game that goes with it. So that's how we're spending our time here. Um, Doña Aranya that we just talked about, that does not have the spiderweb game, that spiderweb movement activity with it. That's something that I've just added. Okay, I said that we would talk about two, but very quickly, I want to talk about Big Fat Biscuit. This is a song from the Georgia Sea Islands, and I have sourced this from the American Methodology. But there's more information about it and more sources for this in the repertoire section of the planning binder. This is one that I play as a jumping game and I do it slightly different from the directions inside the planning binder. So the song, big fat biscuit chubaloo, just from the oven chubaloo, boy jump over yonder chubaloo. If students are ready for it, specifically third graders, not, not so much second grade, um, especially at the beginning of the year, but if third graders are ready, we can add an ostinato jump, over jump on over jump, over jump on over. That ostinato is something that I developed for older beginners, and that's in the older beginner track of the planning binder. And it, just to circle back to this idea that we've been talking about, this is a good example of using a song for upper elementary older beginners and using it at the second grade level. But those second graders more than likely, absolutely more than likely, are not going to be doing that melodic ostinato. But third graders might. It just depends on what their musical experiences have have been before this interaction. Just for fun, why don't we do that together? Uh, why don't you sing jump over, jump on over, and I'll sing the melody of Big Fat Biscuit. I'll let you go through that two times and then you just keep going. One, two, here you go. Jump over, jump on over, keep going. Jump on over, Big Fat Biscuit, Chubaloo. Just from the oven, Chubaloo. Boy, jump over yonder, Chubaloo. Excellent. So if we were to think of this as like a starter pack of Mireto, we have three different options that we can at least consider using. With all of these songs, we're following the same pedagogy sequence that we would normally. We're following the same sequence that we're going to throughout the rest of the year as far as thinking about what we hear and putting it in our bodies and playing instruments and orally identifying these three pitches, all of that. So these songs we can definitely use for Mireto but these can also be used for loud and quiet and fast and slow and just things like that. So that's our Mi Re Do collection, Mi Re Do and more collection. So let's think about rhythmically. We're going to start with a steady beat. This is a more uh, straightforward choice, in my opinion, than Mi Re Do versus So and Me. But rhythmically, we're starting with a steady beat and then we're moving on to Ta, Ta, Di, and Ta, 
rest. And then inside the ta, ta, di, ta, rest focus, we would be emphasizing long and short sounds and the difference between the rhythm and the beat. So these songs can kind of be interwoven together like, uh, and what I mean by that is we can use them to teach steady beat and rhythm versus beat and ta and toddy. And in some of these cases, we can add on ta rest as well. So this is a very um, interwoven collection as far as rhythmic concepts. So let's quickly, and I'll keep this brief, but let's quickly look at some uh, musical options for this rhythmic track. First, we have A Perez y Nones, and this is sourced from the collection at Holy Names University. The song is A Perez y Nones, vamos a jugar, y en que quede solo, ese perderá. The game in the source from Holy Names has students walking in a circle and then at the end of the song they find a partner and whoever does not have a partner is out. So if you're familiar with how we play um, Agua de Limones or some versions of Ickle Ockle, that'll sound familiar to you. The game that I have inside the planning binder, um, most of the songs, this is just an aside, most songs in the planning binder have at least three sources for them. That way I can pull from, you know, how different authors are using this um, and some different backgrounds information on all of the songs. So the game that we have inside the planning binder is different from what is in Holy Names. This is a student standing in a circle and then one student is walking around the inside while everyone sings. And that student walking around the inside is holding a number of objects in their hand. And then at the end of the song, they stop in front of someone and that person guesses, is it even or is it odd? And that goes with the translation of the song, if you if you know this translation, um, but it's evens and odds. Let's play a game. And then the one who is left, the one who is alone, is the one who is going to lose. We'll talk about this with Cut the Cake, but this is a song that we can use with a form um, emphasis. Even if students are not reading the form on the board in terms of um, if they're not reading standardized Western notation, they can still hear the rhythm of the song and recognize that the rhythm is the same both times in both lines of the song if we think about this as having two eight-beat phrases. This is one where you can have students sing while they just stand in place and step a steady beat. And then for students who are ready to kind of level it up, they will continue to step a steady beat in place. They will continue to sing, but then they will also add clapping the rhythm of the words. So... This is something that can be a really fun challenge for those students who have a little bit more physical coordination and students who are ready to uh, kind of level up what we are asking them to do as far as motor development. So students can choose, are they going to sing and clap the rhythm of the words? Are they going to sing and keep a steady beat in their feet? Or are they going to sing while they do the rhythm and the beat? So we're singing no matter what, but students can choose the level of physical challenge that they are ready for. You can also play the game where when people have guessed correctly, maybe the person in the middle is always the person in the middle. And when someone guesses correctly, they move to an instrument like a tubano to keep a steady beat, or they move to rhythm sticks to do the rhythm of the words. So lots of options here. This is a very flexible game, and it's also a lot of fun. Next, let's look at Plainsies Clapsies. You can find this in lots of different sources, uh, but Holy Names is one um, that is just a, a great source for so many things, but this song as well. So in this, students are just following the directions for the song, and it goes, Plainsies Clapsies, turn around to backsies, right hand, left hand, toss it high, toss it low, touch your knee, touch your toe, touch your heel and under you go. So students have some sort of object, whether that be a cotton ball or a tissue or a beanbag or whatever it is, and they're following the direction. So, you know, you toss it with your right hand, you toss it with your left hand, the touch your heel, touch your knee, touch your toe, etc. You're going to toss it. And with that same hand, you touch your knee and then you catch the object. So this is why you'll, you heard me say that I use like a cotton ball or a tissue, something that is a little bit lighter <laughs> and gives us a little bit more think time and processing and movement time as we're doing all these fancy schmancy things is really helpful. 
I normally don't have a whole class playing this game all at once. You definitely can, um, and I do sometimes, but I also find that it can feel just a little bit chaotic. And often, this is a song that is easy to stop singing just because students are focusing so much on, on the motions of the song and following those directions. So I like to divide this into a choir and then a group for the game. And then um, as students are done playing the game, they'll take their cotton ball to someone who is in the choir and they just switch places. When we are ready to transition this to a rhythm versus beat or to a rhythm of the words or to a steady beat or ta ta um, whatever it is, there are several different pathways that we can consider. One option is that when you drop your object and you're out in the game, then as you're seated, you're clapping the rhythm of the words while you sing. Another thing that you can do is divide it into three groups. So the choir who is singing the song, the game who is singing the song while they play the game, and then an instrumental section or a body percussion section, like a, a body percussion group of students who are doing either the rhythm of the words or the steady beat. So kind of dividing into three different groups that you might have rotate. Like if you think of them as stations, when we're done with the song, you just kind of put your instrument down, put your cotton ball down, and you move to the next station. That's an option. Last, let's look at Cut the Cake. This is sourced from the Choksi and Brummet 120 singing games for, oh sorry, singing games and dances for elementary school. That's a great resource if you can get your hands on it. This game is an absolute hit. It goes, clap your hands together, give yourself a shake, make a happy circle, then you cut the cake. So students are going to uh, follow the directions of the song. So you're clapping your hands together and then you can shake, you can shake your hands out in front of you and you might shake your shoulders, something like that. And then make a happy circle. We are going to, as a whole circle of second or third graders, we're going to take hands to create a circle. And then the teacher or another student who has been walking around the outside of the circle is going to divide two of those connected hands. So they're going to cut the cake, so to speak. So those students who I have kind of divided their hands so they're no longer connected, now I have cut the cake. Those two students are going to run around the circle or they're going to walk around the circle, depending on, you know, what parameters you have for safety with these kinds of games. You know, they're going to run or they're going to um, speed walk or they're going to jump or whatever it is, but they're going to move around the circle in opposite directions. And then whoever gets back to the teacher to tag the teacher's hand, they are the winner. When I introduce this, um, I like to do some creative movement with this as well, kind of similar to Doña Aranya. But if we think about clap your hands together, what are some different ways that you could clap your hands together? Maybe you're doing a two finger clap. Maybe you have a golf clap. Um, maybe you're going to turn both of your hands around and clap together the back of your hands. Maybe instead of clapping your hands like side to side laterally, maybe you'll clap them vertically. Maybe you could clap them up and down and then kind of switch so a different hand is on top each time. Ah, lots of different options here. Same thing. How could you give yourself a shake? Well, maybe you're shaking your elbow. Maybe you're shaking your toe. Maybe you shake as you move from high to low, um, etc. So lots of different options here. And then we can jump in and actually play the game. This is one that I also do a good amount of form work with. Um, and same thing that we talked about. These kids love thinking through the form of the song and looking for patterns and kind of um, constructing and deconstructing the song uh, at a structural level. So even if we are not ready to read the rhythm in standardized Western notation, students can figure out the form of the song. You know, you put four big lines on the board and then you just clap the rhythm of the words and say, there's a pattern here somewhere. Some of these match with some lines and some lines match other lines. Can you figure out what our pattern is? And that's another um, really, really fun activity for these students. Okay, today, we have looked at several ways to kind of jumpstart a second and a third grade music program if we are starting these students, so to speak, from scratch. There are, of course, many more songs and games and activities that we could do, but I think that this is a good set of materials to kind of get us started. And then, just to reiterate, the approach that I 
choose, I am choosing, (laughs) is based on how I am thinking about a few things, how I'm navigating my answers to number one, what is the point of our sequence? Number two, it's my answer to what makes something a second or third grade song. And then my understanding of the question, what are second and third graders like? This is such a fun age group. And I think that an approach, something like what we've talked about today, um, it doesn't have to be exactly this, but I think something along these lines can really help these students shine and get started on a musical and an intentional first semester of the school year.